Well, 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 welcome to Weather Jazz on this Wednesday midpoint of the week. It's a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, astronomy, and periodically some interesting off-topic episodes that I mostly cover on Open Line Friday. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier. I am the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 163. Again, it is the midpoint of the week, Wednesday, March 10, 2021. I've got a great listener question from the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line coming up in just a little bit. However, I want to hit today's topic right from the get-go. And that is something that we will be observing this weekend. It is the annual rite, if you will, as we head into the spring and summer months to change our clocks to spring forward, as we like to say, from standard time to daylight saving time. And the correct vernacular is in the singular. It's daylight saving time, not daylight savings time, which even grammatically doesn't make sense because you're only saving one thing. So it's daylight saving time, even though recently both have been accepted as uh, being okay. But that is another story for another time. And I'm going to let the English teachers and the English professors debate that because that's really not the reason why I'm bringing this particular subject up. Well, this coming weekend, we're going to change our clocks again. And it's something that happens every single year. And I first remembered that as a kid. And uh, nowadays, it is the second Sunday in March that we spring forward, whereas uh, when I was growing up, I believe it was either the last Sunday in March or the first Sunday in April that that occurred. That date has been floating around and changing uh, by legislative power by the U.S. Congress, uh, and that a part of bigger bigger, uh, deals, if you will, in the U.S. Congress or bigger bills. Uh, but that, again, is not the main point. The main point is the fact that we even do this. How did that even come to be? Let me mention one name in history, Benjamin Franklin. A lot of people believe that Benjamin Franklin was the one who recommended that we enter into this practice of shifting the clocks that we use over one hour. But the truth of the matter is that he did not. Now, I can see where a lot of misconception uh, would lead to that conclusion. For instance, Benjamin Franklin was the one who published the proverb, early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
and he later published a letter in the Journal de Paris uh, during his time as the American envoy to France, and that was from 1776, the birth of the United States, to 1785. And he suggested that Parisians economize on candles by rising earlier to use morning's sunlight. Uh, This was really satire, and it can be found in a 1784 written satire in which he proposed taxing window shutters. (laughs) How about that? Rationing candles and waking the public by ringing church bells and firing cannons at sunrise. But despite common misconception, Franklin did not actually propose daylight saving time. In fact, 18th century Europe did not even keep precise schedules. Uh, There were a few clocks out there, but that was not something that was commonly found in homes in the 1700s and early 1800s. However, this changed as the rail transport and communication networks required a standardization of time, uh, really unknown in Franklin's day. Again, there was no need for that. It was an agrarian society. People got up at sunrise and went to bed when it got dark, and naturally, the amount of light grew longer in the summer, thankfully, because that leads to warmer temperatures and better uh, chlorophyll production in our plants, which eventually leads to the crop harvest toward the end of the summer and early fall in most crops. Uh, But eventually, we all started keeping time. We all started getting watches and clocks inside our home in the 1800s as we really started to reach out and the whole country and the whole world for that matter started to get connected electronically. And that really requires more of a a standardization of keeping track of time or the clock. Now, Daylight saving time was actually proposed in the very early 1900s initially by a number of places. Uh, For instance, it was Willett in 1907 who proposed this during several political tries to introduce daylight saving time. It attracted a number of supporters too, by the way. Churchill was one of them. Uh, However, the opposition proved even stronger, and that included H.H. H. Asquith, who was the Prime Minister of England, uh, George Darwin, Napier Shaw, who was the Director of the Meteorological Office, and many agricultural organizations and theater owners, and the list goes on and on. So it had a lot of uh, uphill battle to go And as a result of that, and after many hearings, a parliamentary committee vote narrowly rejected the proposal in 1909. And people in the U.S. demonstrated even more skepticism. Andrew Peters introduced the Daylight Saving Time Bill into the House of Representatives in May of 1909, but that pretty much died in committee. So it went nowhere. So when did daylight saving time begin? 
Well, that all began in Germany, along with its allies, which led the way to introducing daylight saving time during World War I. And it was on April 30th, 1916. And the aim was to alleviate hardships due to wartime coal shortages and from uh, air raid blackouts. Eventually, other countries followed suit. The United Kingdom, the UK, used daylight saving time first on May 21st, 1916. And the U.S. retailing and manufacturing interests led by Pittsburgh industrialist Robert Garland soon began lobbying for daylight saving time. But railroads opposed the idea at the time. The U.S.'s 1917 entry into the war overcame those objections. And daylight saving time, first observed here in the United States, began in 1918. But as soon as the war was done, the pendulum swung back in the other direction, and farmers continued to dislike daylight saving time. Uh, And many countries repealed it after the war, like Germany, for instance, which dropped daylight saving time uh, from 1919 until 1939. But Britain proved an exception to that rule. It kind of retained the daylight saving time observance through that whole period. Well, we're going to fast forward now uh, up to 2009. And as of 2009, summertime began annually on the last Sunday in March under the European Community Directive, which probably was uh, right around Easter Sunday, give or take a few Sundays. The U.S. dithered a little bit more. Congress actually repealed daylight saving time after 1919, after the war was done. But to complicate things, there were a couple of U.S. cities that actually retained daylight saving time locally to confuse the matter, and that would include New York City, uh, as well as Chicago and Cleveland. And the reason that was in place was to keep pace with New York, in other words, uh, Chicago and Cleveland wanted to be in the same uh, time zone or the same clock as New York because of the financial aspects of it with the New York stock market. Okay, so if all of this sounds confusing, I guess we'll wrap it up by taking you right to the current year, 2021, and in a bill oh, probably a decade, decade and a half ago now that was enacted, moved the dates on which we start daylight saving time, and that would be the second Sunday in the month of March. That's up and coming this Sunday. And we return back to standard time on the first Sunday in the month of November. Now, as a kid, I remembered that as happening before Halloween. That was the last Sunday in October. I remember that because living along the East Coast, the sun set pretty early, and by the time we pushed the clock back to standard time, the sun was setting at 4.15, and it was dark, approaching 4.30 and 5 o'clock, and that meant that we could run out to the neighbors for candy early. Of course, my parents liked that aspect of it, because it got 
uh, the trick-or-treating out of the way uh, on a relatively early note. So that was my recollection of going back to Standard Time. It was the last Sunday in October. Now it's the first Sunday in November. Uh, And we still observe it. However, there is a move to either do away with daylight saving time altogether or enact it so that it's constantly there. Now, both have some issues, both have some problems to it. And if you're asking your humble host of Weather Jazz what I prefer, that would be that we go on standard time year-round and just forget it. And that would mean earlier sunrises in the summer, especially for those in the Boston area or anywhere along the east coast. But if we went to daylight saving time year-round, which was a proposal by Marco Rubio of Florida, that would mean that in the wintertime, we would not start getting light until 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning. That's already been tried. We tried that. Uh, I believe it was under Jimmy Carter during the energy crisis of the 1970s. And uh, that did not prove to be very popular, especially in the western part of every time zone when the sun just didn't come up until 8, 30, 9 o'clock because all of the kids were waiting for the bus in the dark, and uh, that just wasn't a good thing for parents. It did not give a measure of comfort to parents. So both have issues, both have problems, but it would be nice to finally do away with the time change once and for all. Again, your humble host of the Weather Jazz podcast would love to see standard time year-round. And let's do away with things. Now, nowadays, it's a little bit easier to kind of keep up with things because most of our electronic devices automatically make the shift, like our smartphones and smart clocks that we have on the wall that uh, take their signal from WWV and uh, the clocks that are inside our refrigerators and ranges, cooking ranges, that kind of thing. There are very few clocks that really need to be adjusted. There might be a one or two or three here and there, but that's about it. It's not like it used to be in the old days when you used to have to start somewhere and then work your way up to uh, the last clock in the house. Which brings me to an interesting practical joke that our family played on each other for time change weekend you see we all met in northern vermont bark mountain bark mountain area we rented a condominium a huge one with all kinds of bedroom space and we all piled in there my mother and father they were alive and they were they were there and my brother was there with his family um, one of my best friends my lifer friends bob gilmore was there Uh, We just had a big collection of people, and uh, I think it was uh, my brother and I who said, hey, during the night, this is time change weekend, during the night, let's go around and change all the clocks to different times, and let's keep one clock that um, we will kind of keep track of as the one that will move everything to the next morning. 
and uh, it was really the purpose to see if we could get my mother and father up making breakfast in the kitchen very early, like four in the morning or five in the morning, when really it was closer to seven in the morning, just as a for instance. Well, we did that. We changed all of the clocks, except that, that we did not keep track of the clock it was that was correct. And so by the time we had changed all the clocks, we suddenly realized, oh, wait a minute, which one is the correct one? Nobody could remember which one it was. We were all off the next day. Nobody knew what the real time was. And what we actually had to do was to run out to the car, turn on a radio, and wait for any one of the local DJs to say, hey, the current time is blank. And uh, so then that's how we got the current time that particular year. Then we ran back inside with the current time, the correct time. We had uh, switched back to standard time because it was in the fall. And we were able to get back in sync. So we all had a pretty good laugh about that because nobody knew what the correct time was because of that practical joke and because we did not keep track of the one clock that we agreed uh, would be the one that we would actually go back to. And nobody could re- remember what we had done with it or which clock it was. And, well, it, it certainly makes great fodder for a wonderful story like that. Okay, let's get to today's question. And it comes to us, I believe, from Norwalk. Uh, here it is. Hi, Andre. This is Frank from Norwalk. Uh, got a question. When you have a snowpack like we've had recently, we've had we had over a foot of snow here laying on the ground at any given point for the last couple of weeks. So it's it's been melting the last couple of days. When that melts, does it melt from the top as well as the bottom? Boy, that's a great question. And it's a complicated answer in the sense that it depends on what the weather conditions would be, what the ground temperatures would be. Just as a, for instance, if you have a deep snowpack in the spring, when the ground temperature is at or close to or even above freezing, you're going to see that the melting will probably start from the bottom up dependent on what the temperature is on top, assuming that it's below freezing. If the exact opposite is true, if it's deep in the winter and your ground temperature is very much below 32 degrees, snow acts like an insulation. You see, the snowpack is mostly air. The ratio is approximately 90% air to 10% ice or water molecules that are frozen. So the air in between all of the ice serves as an insulation. So if the temperature is really quite warm up on top of the snowy surface, it'll start from the top and go down. And there won't be a lot of melting right at the surface, dependent on what the surface temperature is. Now, you can have it so that... It is both being eaten away from the bottom and from the top, in which case the snowpack would probably diminish much more quickly. So again, there isn't a hard, fast rule as to which one goes first 
or from what direction. It really all depends on that particular weather scenario as to whether or not the snowpack melts from the ground up or from the top down or from both sides. And I hope that answers your question. Had a few more questions uh, come to us from the Fox 8 weather page. I went on a line live at one point asking for questions and uh, found a few more. For instance, Joe Buner asked if the record high and low temperature has ever been reached in the same day. And the answer to that is no. Uh, However, there are a couple of instances in the Cleveland record, and I would imagine anywhere else too, where the record high was only one year away from the record low for that particular date. That has happened. A great question, but uh, when you have record highs, chances are you're not going to see a record low in the same day. The probability, I don't really know of any place uh, that that has occurred. It's possible, but it would take a very special scenario. For instance, it would take uh, being in position in perhaps a lee of the Rockies in Montana where you get the the phone winds, the warming winds that come in off the, the mountains. You could be well below zero, and that same afternoon, if you get into a situation where you get the downslope winds, suddenly you find yourself in the 60s, 70, even 80 degrees warmer than the daytime, the overnight low temperature. So a special case scenario would be required for that to occur here in Cleveland. That has never occurred. However, again, there are some years where a record high occurred, for instance, let's just pull a date out of a uh, out of the hat. Let's take today's date, May tenth, nineteen eighteen, and one year later, nineteen nineteen, you had the record low. Uh, I'm not saying that that is the case. That's not, but that's just an example that has occurred in Cleveland on a couple of occasions. Great question, Joe. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of Weather Jazz. I hope you enjoyed it. Please help me to spread the word any way you can, whether it's by email or social media or inside your sphere of influence. And that includes, as I like to say, over the fence to your neighbor. Let them know that you listen to Weather Jazz, and they should too. Very cool. Special thanks to all of you who have partnered to support Weather Jazz. Victoria Singer from Vermont, Will and Tonya Krause and family in Ohio, Christine Barnes in Ohio, Rose Moore, Ohio, Bill Martin in Florida, Andrea Rich in Tennessee. And if you want your name to be added to that growing list, as well as getting a free book from me, it's a book that I wrote in 2011. It's called The Extra Mile. And it is essentially an autobiographical timeline, but it's not about me. It's about the people who have invested their time in me to make me who I am. So you can kind of get the sense of who I am by seeing the people that invested in me above and beyond what is the normal. That's why I called it the extra mile. 
And for the month of uh, March in 2021, so we've got a few more weeks left, if you become a supporter at any one of three levels, I'm going to send you that book. And of course, that means that as soon as you become a supporter, send me an email at weatherjazz at yahoo.com. That way I can get the information that I need so that I can send you your book. You're going to find the link at the bottom of this episode, episode number 163 at weatherjazz.com. Hey, listen, do you have a question just like our audience member today? Or if you have a suggestion or you just want to say hello, I welcome your input. You can easily reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com via email, but if you want to do it by phone, and I encourage that, that way I can hear your voice and can actually use your audio sound bite in the program, you can now call my Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line 234-525-5888. And all of that information, again, is available at the bottom of every episode at weatherjazz.com. Well, if you enjoy listening to Weather Jazz using any of the podcast apps available, remember to subscribe. That way, you will automatically download every episode as I make them available. If you are in the Cleveland, Ohio area or plan to visit or simply traveling through, you can always catch my 5 and 7 p.m. weekday weather segments on WJW Television, Fox 8, or online live at fox8.com. Now, last night and the night before, Monday and Tuesday night, I was doing some pinch hitting at 10 p.m., but tonight, Wednesday night, I'm back on my regular shift on the 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. broadcast. Okay, we'll catch you on Friday. Guess what happens Friday? You know it. It's free-for-all, open-line Friday. You steer the topics. I'm looking for your suggestions or your questions at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 234-525-5888, and we'll catch you right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.